Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and, as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Brian O'Neill, is a real estate investor, an author, a podcast host, and a real estate coach out of Chicago, Illinois. Prior to all of that, he spent 25 years in corporate sales trying to bust free from his J-O-B and live his life to the fullest potential that he always believed he had. He was feeling trapped and stuck in his job because guess what? He was a high income earner, but he stayed running on the treadmill for years, earning a high income, trading time for dollars, but not feeling like he was going anywhere. He was on airplanes traveling over 100,000 miles per year away from his wife and missing his young son growing up. He was filled with regret, with anger and resentment, and was simply not living his best life. Brian's fork in the road was his son telling him that he didn't like it when I was away because he was scared to be home alone with just mom. Today, Brian lives his best life by doing the things he loves to do. And today, he's here to share the lessons he's learned along the way of his journey. So with that said, let's get this show started. Brian O'Neill, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for joining my show from Chicago. The Windy City, Patrick. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking with you. Yeah. So, Brian, you know, for our listeners, you know, the opening question always is, I mean, as much as I try and do a good job in the intro, uh, you know, it's never as good as listening to the guests tell people, you know, what they do. So, Brian, when somebody says, what do you do? What's your answer these days? What do you do? So I've got uh, I've got a few things going on. I am I am I do have a full time real estate business. So I'm a real estate investor. I buy and sell 
properties uh, using what we refer to as creative financing strategy. Uh, that's uh, terms, lease purchase, owner financing. Um, so that's my day job, if you will, even though I really don't like to consider myself having a job. Uh, but that's that's my main core business. Uh, I do some coaching as well. Um, I coach uh, students how to uh, create those types of business, buy and sell homes on terms, because it's not an easy thing to do. It's not for everyone. It takes a lot of skill and systems that we put in place. So I work with students to help them set these businesses up and and buy and buy these properties and sell them. And then I also, uh, what I'm really super passionate about, Patrick, is, you know, I was in W-2, we were talking about this offline a little bit. I had a W-2 job coming right out of college up until I worked 25 years in corporate sales. I worked for the same company for 17 years. I was an elevator salesman for 17 years. That's what brought me to Vancouver several times uh, a year, as we had discussed. And I had always wanted to do something different, mm -hmm. right? When, we, when we're in corporate sales or when we're in any corporate position, really, we feel as if we get to the point where if I don't start trading time for dollars, like I'm plateaued, like my income started to plateau. I could only make so much as a salesperson. I said, I either have to climb the corporate ladder or do something different. And that was me for probably a good 15, 15 years. And I just felt stuck in this position. Like I've created mm -hmm. this lifestyle, you know, I earned more money. I bought the bigger house. I bought my wife, the nice car. Like we just accumulated more stuff. And I felt that if I left that job, that I would lose this lifestyle that I had created. So I stayed in it for years and years and years. And it wasn't until I got a little bit of motivation from my young son, because I was traveling a lot um, and missing him grow up, where I really started to take action and look at this like, hey, I only got one shot to be this kid's dad, right? Mm -hmm. I can't turn, I can't, I can't blink 20 years from now, and I miss this kid grow up. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what motivated me to, to leave my job uh, and do real estate full time. Now I'm helping people who are in similar situations to the one I just mentioned, get out of that job sooner so that they don't have to spend 25 years like I did trading time for dollars. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. Now you used a term that I don't know that I'm familiar with, or that maybe my listeners are, I'm not, you used W2. What is that? Yes, sorry. So that's what we uh, that's what we refer to in the states as a full time corporate job. We're paying taxes, right? Got like it. we're working for somebody else. We're working for the government. Yeah. So in our, I guess in Canada it would be we're working for our T four. But I mean, we always have a T four yeah. even as a self employed individual. So, but I get the context for it. So that's great. Now you describe yeah. something, you know, Brian, that really I think you know as coaches we see it often and is pretty familiar, which is. Uh, the transition that you had to make because you had created a lifestyle. It wasn't probably ideal, but it didn't suck. You had, you know, this lifestyle was pretty good, but you're on this treadmill that in order to maintain the lifestyle, it was, you know, you, you had to keep going. And then the fear of changing it, knowing that it was less than ideal, wasn't really who you were. So there's a little bit of all the things that are underlying that identity and integrity and all the rest of it. But the fear of jumping off the treadmill and then recreating something is pretty scary. And uh, I'm sure that was a big one with you. You know, how many years did you say? 15 or 25? I don't remember mm -hmm. now, but it was a long time. 
Yeah, 25 total in, in corporate, but it was really about 15 years where I knew that I was trying to break out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it just got stuck and stuck as I started to earn more money and 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 create this lifestyle, like I had said. Yeah, it's a long time. Now, so what were you doing back then, just out of curiosity? Sure. I, I, was an, I sold elevators, so I was an elevator salesman. So real estate and elevators have nothing to do with each other. But, um, you know, I, I, was, I was traveling a lot. That, like, that was my big thing as I was gone every other week. You know, and all over North America, I would go to Europe. And, and again, as my son started to get older, sure, he started to he, he would start to tell me about it. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, dad, I don't I don't like when you're gone. I'm afraid to be in the house with mom. Right. You know, so now I'm adding that guilt. Sure. To the guilt of me already feeling terrible about not facing my dreams. Right. Now, do you, what was your dream, though? When you think about dreams, Brian, was it a dream that you had of being an entrepreneur? Was it a dream that you had of just something maybe better slash grander than what you had? What was the dream that you weren't staying true to? It, it was both of that. So definitely wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't, I think, and, and I think this is where a lot of us struggle is we know that maybe we don't want to be where we are, but we're not really sure where we want to be. And then we end up staying where we are because mm-hmm. it, it, it's safe and it's comfortable and it's predictable. And we know that. And you really have to take the time, I think, to have this, this vision. Like, you know, one of my mentors, I'm a huge believer in mentors and coaches. I have multiple uh, mentors and coaches. It's like, hey, don't forget what it was like to be a kid mm-hmm. and to daydream. And to think big and to dream big, like, why do we lose it as adults? Mm-hmm. You know, that's such an important exercise is to, is to allow yourself like, Hey, I can do this. Like, why can't I do this? And, you know, that's when things started to change for me was when I started to daydream a little bit and really allow myself the time to do that. Well, I think those are big steps, aren't they? When you think about the clients that you've had and, you know, as a, as a kind of not kind of as a coach and we look at the kind of mindset component of it. I mean, we can teach tactics and strategies. We can coach that all day long, but what, you know, the how to's of anything are actually the less complicated of it because it doesn't matter how well we do in the how to's, you know, I look at rain, the real estate investment network as an organization. I mean, we're national in scope, you know, thousands of real estate investors, I'm always sometimes I step back from it going, and I'm sure you've experienced this, where you've got clients, in our case, we've got a community nationally where they all, we teach, we share, we you know engage with all of the same tactics, strategies, possibilities, and many, but not all, uh, most take action and do stuff. But what's the difference between them that are hitting it out of the park and those that are actually a year later, two years later going, I can't, I can't do this. Well, how many pieces of real estate do you own now? Uh, None. We just haven't been able to get going. So what's the difference? What do you think is the difference? Because I'm sure you've run across that in, in your uh, business as well at some point. 100%. And I ask myself the same questions. Like, why is this person doing something? And, and, and these, like, why is this one person doing something? And these 50 are not right. And the reality of the situation, Patrick, is there's not a lot of difference between the one and the 50. The one person took all that information and actually did something with it. Okay. They were not afraid to fail. Maybe they were afraid to fail, but their drive or their why, their mindset was in such a a position that they could deal with that. Mm -hmm. Right. 
like they they could push beyond that that fear and actually take the steps. I mean, that's the difference. You know, I I talk a lot. I talk a lot to my students and my clients. Like, there's not a there's not a big difference between the successful person and you. They just took the action and did it and continued to do it. Okay, so I'm going to circle back to this conversation because I want to little know a little bit more about you, Brian. Because I still in my mind see where you're you were at at some point that certainty of a paycheck oh my gosh i gotta let this go now did you start and you chose real estate as as the avenue is what it sounds like to me now when you originally started real estate were you thinking it was going to be a side hustle as in i'm going to do real estate build a you know financial future with some investment you know buy and hold or whatever or did you actually get into real estate with this is my gig you jumped off the cliff and got into it how was your transition from your job to that brian yeah great great question so i had been i had been dabbling in real estate and by dabbling what i mean is i was i was trying to figure out which lane i wanted to be in mm-hmm. and i also that kept me stuck in the same spot for years and years and years because i got caught in education and hiding behind my education and analysis paralysis again never doing anything mm-hmm. and ultimately i landed on this creative financing space because my fears around real estate investing were related to money, okay? Me investing my own money in these deals, and then even more frightening was me going to people that I knew and saying, hey, invest alongside of me. All right, so now I have to, I have all these other people that have to, that I have, that are relying on me. And it was right around that time where I found this creative this creative financing niche where you could buy properties with no money down, none of your own credit. I said, okay, that solves that problem. And I ran right towards it. And it's just worked out really well for me. I love it. I've been able to use a lot of the skills that I had from my sales job, talking to sellers, having conversations with sellers, um, and just negotiating and, and listening, my listening skills. And I ultimately, uh, that led me into, into coaching because I was really good at it. And then now we're on that, which is becoming a transitional coach, which is to get people from point A to point B and from the W-2 or the T-4, as you say, to the place where, hey, I'm going to do something different and I'm not going to be scared anymore. Mm -hmm. That's really who I'm trying to help now. So I guess it's, you know, the when the uh, fear of staying where you are pales in comparison to the fear of where you're going because no or vice versa i guess you know you have to at one point go you know what the worst case scenario is is that i try it or no i guess the worst case scenario is i stay where i'm at and wake up one day hating my life even more and or i jump off the cliff and go i'm gonna try this and make it work and you know burn the boats and go right yeah yeah from that point where i decided right because i decided i committed i said i'm gonna do this real estate business. I was working full time at the same time. And then once I decided that I was going to do it full time, like I committed, I decided so that from that point, it was about nine months. So I'd been trying for 25 years to leave. Uh, Once I got my head in the right spot, I got some people on my side, coaches, mentors, I, you know, and I had, I felt comfortable and I had the support, I had the support of my family. That was huge. It, it took me nine months. So from down from 25 years down to nine months. Right. And I was going to, I was going to bring that up is that in behind all these scenes is that, you know, as much as we may have a coach or a mentor, 
we've got a family, we've got a significant other in your case at the bare minimum that, you know, she has to get behind it and say, go, you know, I'm, I'm in, uh, was, was she, was she working at the time? Was she a, a full-time mom or was she in that whole scenario, Brian? She was working. So this was obviously pre COVID. So she was, uh, she was yeah. working. And again, we had two uh, incomes and we had created a two income lifestyle. lifestyle sure. Really, right. Yeah. Two high income earner lifestyle. And, you know, one of my biggest fears was revolved around her. Like mm-hmm. I was afraid of, you know, like if I fail, like what's she going to think of me? You mm-hmm. know, uh, how, how's it going to impact our relationship? Which again, I just created all these, these stories, stories in my sure. head, yeah. Patrick. It's all it was. Yeah. I had her support from the get go. All I had to do was ask her. Yeah. Right? Isn't it funny? We have, <laughs> we always call it our BS, right? Which is our belief systems and which are always based on a story. So we have all this BS and it, all we have to do is have the conversation. <laughs> Total. That's it. That's it. And that's a, that's a, man thing by yeah, the way where totally. we just you know we can't talk to people unfortunately yeah. but it, you know I, I once i had that conversation with her it was it was and, and she had questions you know it wasn't it wasn't like an easy yeah, yeah. it wasn't an easy pitch right i had mm-hmm. to i had to i had to be prepared she asked sure. great questions mm-hmm. i had her full support when she saw that hey this is something he he really wants to do yeah so go back a little bit brian you know you had a corporate job, you know, I was, I'm always curious around entrepreneurs because, you know, it was interesting that I r- was listening to a Ray Dalio interview and he gave some interesting stats along the line that I think he said that only 4% of, you know, the, the world or the population, or I don't remember what it was, but it was like this minor really small percentage of people that should ever even be entrepreneurs, that they're not really wired for it. Entrepreneurs sounds cool, but it really, there's very few people that are wired to do it. So when I, when I hear somebody like you that had that, that corporate background, do you, did you come back by your entrepreneurship kind of, was it nature or nurture? What did your parents have background as entrepreneurs? Where was that? Yeah. So my parents, you know, that was one of the, that was one of the issues is I, I, I grew up in the, you know, the programmed society go, Hey, do good in school, son. So you can go and go to a good college and then you'll get a good job. Right. I mean, I lived that to a T right. You know, my, my father worked for the same company for 40 plus years, the same company. You know, I always, that that's what I believe. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And then it just became safe and secure, right? Like the steady paycheck, the 401k, the retirement plan, the, 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 um, you know, the health insurance, I can't give any of that up. And then this is some some of the best piece, piece of advice that I've ever received from my mentor. And one of the things that helped propel me to leave my job was he says, Hey, Brian, the job is the risk. The job is the risk, Mm -hmm. not you starting your own business and taking control of your life you're expendable and that hit and i and i knew that but i don't think i ever admitted it you know i went through you know when we had the crash here in 08 i survived three rounds of layoffs mm-hmm. you know the salespeople are always the last people to go if they're cutting salespeople, like you're going out of business right but every time i was nervous and it could have been me now what do i do you know i'm in my 40s i you know i i, I how, what am i going to do Like, I'm not going to replace the income that I had. So that's when things really started to shift for me mentally was, okay, well, I've been looking at this the wrong way. 
It is such a big one. You know, I know that, uh, you know, Kiyosaki, of course, with his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, really laid that out many, many years ago. But it's so true, right? It's, but it, it does really seem like, you know, when you're in that job, it feels like secure when it's not. You fight for security and knowing that on any given day, your job could be on the line for any number of reasons. And you know, as much, I guess, stress as we may feel as entrepreneurs, we do realize that if we are able to pivot, if we're able to be strategic, uh, we really do have far, far more control over our destiny than, you know, having a job. And that's not to say it's easy because it's certainly not. You know, I've been in business since 1984. So, uh, I've definitely had my challenges along the way. And, uh, but having said that, I've also, because of circumstances, economies, et cetera, there have been times where, and fortunately very few, but there have been times where I've had to lay staff off. And it's like the worst thing in the world as a, as a business yeah. owner. But again, they're at the effect of that. And uh, that's all I got to say about that. So I really do hear you in that kind of conversation. I wish more people could understand that. You can only fail if you quit. Right? Sure. You, you're only, you're gonna, you'll fail if you quit. That's it. As long as you keep going, if you learn how to make money, even if your business doesn't do well, like mm. you've learned how to make money, you've learned a valuable skill, you can, as long as you keep going, you're, you're not going to fail. Uh, exactly. And now, but it's interesting too, is that now when you look at your clients, are they, are they primarily into real estate in a full-time way or are they doing this as a kind of a, you know, as a side hustle and or to supplement their income, uh, future state. I know a lot of our rain community, they're investing for the long term. So in other words, they're looking out 10, 15, 25 years even and saying, you know, I want to create a financial future. And real estate is the one way that I can have that security and that certainty if I do it right. Uh, there are surprisingly many go, this is cool. I'm going to do this. And they do take it on full time. What is it in your case? What do you discover with your clientele? Yeah, most of most of our clients have a have a job. They yep. have a they, they're working a job, and and the and they'll and their 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 trajectory's a little bit slower. They want to develop a real estate business. Um, I think, and I'll, I'll say this too: I, I love our students. A lot of them aren't one hundred percent sure. They right. don't know, right? Yep. And that's why I think understanding what it is that you want, not now. But maybe look at the five, ten. You know, what does your life look like later down the road, and spend some time journaling about it and scripting it out mm -hmm. versus just diving in, right? Really give it some thought. Um, but a lot of our clients are are definitely they want to leave their job. They have strong whys behind it. Most of most of it's related to family. You know, they want to leave a legacy for their family and their sure. kids, and 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 get more of their time back. I mean, isn't that what we all want as entrepreneurs? We, we want control of our time. Like if we're going to work 80 hours a week, at least we want it to be on our terms and not because someone's making us do it. Well, I think that's such a, 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 an important message for anybody, right? Which is to your point, you know, I, I honestly haven't worked a day in my life for the past, I don't know, I'm going to say 20 years. I love what I do. And, uh, you know, I remember always coming off stage after speaking and sharing whatever I shared on stage. And, you know, one of the, you know, one of the people in the audience came up to me and said to me, gosh, Patrick, how many hours a week do you work? And I went 
frick i don't know because i i just work i don't know it's just that it's not even about work it's just what i do so it really is interesting when you and, and yes i need vacations and yes i need downtime but that's got nothing to do that's just a normal kind of uh way of looking after myself but it is an interesting concept about those who are counting how many hours they work versus you know loving so much what they do that you know, it doesn't feel like work and that you're not counting hours. You're just doing what you love to do. Exactly. And those vacations that you take, you don't ever have to ask anybody for time <laughs> That's off. That's the other side of it. <laughs> That's the other side of it. And you take vacations for a different reason. There is a, you know, there is a fundamental around all of that. So that's really interesting. Now, but just kind of off air before we got going, we had a, a brief chat. You know, you've really come to understand, as I have, that, Mindset is such an important part of success as an entrepreneur. And in this context, you know, real estate, what do you see, you know, as a, is there a common theme? Is there something that you see that, you know, that shows up quite often with people that are going, ah, I don't know. And, you know, is if you're looking at it, diagnosing, is there something, a commonality that you see at all, Brian? Are you referring to real estate or the mindset, mindset around? Sorry. Yeah, great. Mindset around. Yeah, it. so the mindset. Are, so the mindset around real estate is, you know, there's it's all fear based. Really, really, it is. It's all fear based, and you know, a lot of the things that I'll hear about, especially at this market, you know, is I can't do deals because the market's so hot. Well, you know, I'm. Um, what, what what are we talking about when we say the hot market? I mean, the market is just what it is, right? It is what it is. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not evil. It just is what it is. You're, you can still do deals in any market. There are still sellers who are having sure. problems that the traditional market is not going to solve. It just isn't. Yeah. It's just whether or not now I don't I stopped watching the news a long time ago. Oh yeah. You it's been one of, the, one of the best decisions <laughs> I've made in my life. Like yeah. my wife will say, Did you hear about this? I'm like, no, you're telling me about it now. You're my you can give me the uh, you know the, 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 the abridged version. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and, but you get caught up in that, right? Mm -hmm. So if you hear the story that these houses are selling in 15 minutes, 25, 50, hundred thousand dollars over asking, and there's multiple offers, well, that's the story. That's what you've been fed, but that's not what I hear. I'm actually on the phone with people. My team's on the phone with people. I hear these stories and I can help solve their their problems, you know, and, and by now, is it harder to get houses now? Yeah, it is, but I'm not quitting. We don't quit. We're still in it. We're staying consistent and nothing lasts forever in real estate, except that ultimately, you know, you are, you are going to, you're, you're investing in a state, a stable asset and your investment is going to go up over time, right? There might be peaks and valleys along the way, but these uh, price appreciations are just not going to continue in my opinion. So you just got to be ready and stick with it. You know, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in that, you know, first and foremost, there is, you know, to your point, there is no bad times to buy real estate. There's just the wrong choice of strategies in any given market, you know, shift your strategy and you'll do fine. And is it easy? Of course not. And I always use, you know, when we're, when we're working with real estate investors and kind of going through that coaching side of it, you know, it's like, 
it's it's not like if you were if you were mining for gold or diamonds, it's not like you walk down the beach picking them up. You got to dig. You know, you got to hustle. You got to put a shovel in your hand and you got to get to work. You got to get in the trenches and you got to dig for that treasure. And it's no different with real estate. And there's all sorts of strategies, all sorts of tactics. You know, that's another side of it. And then the other thing around real estate, and I know I'm singing to the choir here, but, you know, ultimately there is always in every market condition, there is a motivated vendor. And that reason is, is because there's deaths, there's divorces, there's job losses, there's transfers. Everybody's got to, you know, there's always somebody that has a reason that they got to get the heck out of that piece of property. Could not possibly say it any better than that. You absolutely nailed it. And it... Patrick, in every market, every market. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about when you talk about creative strategies that you're coaching. Give me a little bit. I know you mentioned lease options. Um, mm -hmm. Is that a, a, a kind of a go-to? What is, you know, because, you know, when we look at all the the potential creative strategies, whether it's a fix and flip or a lease option, uh, which we would call rent to own, same same thing. Uh, in right. this con conversation, uh, what are, is that a go-to strategy for you? What else are you, you doing for strategies? I like that strategy a lot, definitely. Um, the lease option is a great strategy because it makes the seller feel a little bit more comfortable about the transaction because they're not transferring the, the deed mm -hmm. to the house. They're not transferring sure. ownership. So they're usually a little bit more comfortable. They're not in as much pain though, typically. Mm -hmm. Sellers who are like, you know, so here's a, here's a stat that your listeners may not know. I don't know what the stats are in Canada, but in the United States, a third of all houses are owned with no debt, free and clear, no mortgage, mm -hmm. which means that the seller has the ability to act as the bank. They sure. can finance anyone, yeah. you know, and the last time I looked, there's banks on every street corner around here. So they're rich for a reason because they're loaning money out, right? So I love the owner financing strategy and you don't even necessarily need a motivated seller to do owner financing. You just need a seller who gets it, right? Maybe they want they don't want all their money now because of a tax situation or, you know, for estate planning purposes and then then you can they they would rather take payments over a long period of time versus a lump sum of a half a million or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, those are those are great sellers to structure owner financing strategies with. And if you get a handful of those, you can create some some tremendous, tremendous deals and wealth for your family. Well, this goes back, it's what you were just saying. So in Canada, I want, I'm want i surprised it's 30 or a third or 30% is how I hear that, 35%. But it's mm -hmm. it's about 40, I think 40 or 45% in Canada that have paid for their, uh, their real estate. And given the wealth transfer to your point there is more opportunity but you have to have a system in place to get that seller financing and you know what are the benefits to them to your point there are definitely some tax advantages to it if they do it right there may be a, an roi on that financing that supports what they're trying to achieve as well so yours is about i'm sure about marketing it a system of some sort to get those leads in and have those conversations i'm assuming that's the tactic you use the, the how you take it on yeah, we can find we find those properties, we find those sellers, and we talk to them, we initiate a conversation to see number one if they're interested in selling, and then if they are, if if this is something that they would uh, would that they would consider. I mean, I'm giving the very short condensed sure. condensed version of it, but you know, then that's where the phone techniques come in and and how we talk to these sellers and 
you know, we also talk are talking to sellers, Patrick, who are actively trying to sell. Again, you went to the, you know, death, divorce, job leave, sure. job loss, job relocation. These yeah. are all motivated, motivated reasons people would sell their house. But we're also looking at people who are actively trying to sell but can't. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, you know, when COVID, when the pandemic hit this country, people were panicking and they couldn't sell their house. And there was a lot of motivation for people actively trying to sell, you know, on the MLS and even for sale by owner. And we were able to solve a lot of people's problems. So tell me a little bit about how you see what's happening right now in the U.S. overall. And of course, the U.S. is big and there's lots of states that are different. You know, give me some insights into how you when you look at the macro, when you look at overall what's happening in the world today. We're still, you know, in the middle of a Russia-Ukraine war. We got China doing what China's doing and uh, Europe doing what Europe's doing. You know, how are you seeing the future in the U.S. when it comes to housing? Because, you know, the, of course, whatever mainstream media is out there, I'm sure they're saying the whole world is crashing. But we know that not to be true because we see what's happening in, uh, I don't know, states like Florida or Texas, as an example. And they're not without their challenges. But certainly in the housing market, they don't seem to be... You know, let's put it this way, far better that conversation than one in California. So what's happening from your perspective, you know, boots on the ground, Brian? Sure. And, and I'm going to, so I work with students in all markets and the, all the Got markets it. are different, like, oh, cool. right, especially different pockets. But if I'm talking about my market in Chicagoland, and I, you know, I live in a major metropolitan area, so there's millions of people living here, lots of houses. And so the data is good. I think that Right now, we're still seeing a lot of sellers who are having, and just for lack of a better phrase, or we're seeing the hangover from last year. Sure, you know that where, where where the houses were really just flying off the shelf, and the market was really good, and people were getting max price. So there's still a lot of that, I think, in their approach to selling, and that needs its time to kind of wear off, right? And you just have to let it be. You know, like you let you have to let these sellers go through that journey and not try to convince them that the price they're asking for is too high, right? right. You just let them you, you just let them do their thing. Right. But one of the things that we're paying a lot of attention to is several million people in this country took advantage of forbearance. They went into forbearance. Yeah. And they got behind on their payments. I mean, several million people. It's we're not talking about a small amount, several million people. And this is real money that people owe. You can't kick the can down the road forever. Not everyone. Only our government can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I guess they could forever. Yeah. But there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna need help, in my opinion. I mean, I'm try I try not to make predictions. I just try to show up every day and do what I do consistently. Mm -hmm. And ultimately you'll get wins. But I think we're going to see people with pain who got behind on their mortgage, who got behind on their mortgage several months, maybe missed some tax payments. Um, and then, you know, we we have pre-foreclosures here. I don't know what they refer to them in Canada as, but just people who are in the, in the on the cusp of potentially losing their house because of the back payments, right? right? Yeah. Those are, those are people we can help. Um, and I just think the inventory thing is going to going to work itself out. We're already starting to see more houses on the market here uh, in the states, and you know I think prices are starting to level off. We're even seeing them come down a bit. And then again, you have interest rates going up. That eliminates what happens when interest rates go up. 
is, you know, people think, oh, we got to get out and buy a home. It's like that eliminates buyers from being able to buy a home. So any people who are on the cusp of qualifying are now gone. Right. Like they're out of the picture. So what do you have to do as a seller if you really want to sell? You have to lower the price if you can't find a buyer to buy at the price you want. So we'll see how that shakes out. I try not to predict. I just I just try to show up every single day, me and my team, and you know find the people that we can help. Yeah, it is tough to forecast. I know in our case, because we do so much research, and I do a lot of research. I have a team, but I do a lot of research myself because I kind of geek out in that regard. I've found it quite fascinating overall to watch what's happening economically. But, you know, so definitely I look at what the housing market is. You know, the U.S. seems to be a little bit more aggressive in how they're raising rates than we are right now. So it'll be... Uh, kind of interesting to see what happens. Do you think uh, Biden or, or I guess uh, Powell in this case will continue to push those rates higher given the impact it's going to have on or could have on the economy overall? Because there's also that as well, uh, given inflation. It seems like they are going to. Again, I, I, I try not to predict, but it seems that to be the case. I was, you know, beginning of the year, we were expecting five interest rate hikes. Yeah. I mean, five five to six potentially for the year. I mean, we're halfway through and, and you know, they've, they've upped it a few times. So mm-hmm. I, I think we'll continue to, to see it. And, you know, the, the thing about interest rates too is, I, you know, I'm, I remember when 5% was con- still was considered pretty yeah. darn low. Yeah. You know. Very good. Yeah. I mean, you talk to your parents about what they bought their houses for. It was it was double digits. Yeah. For sure. I don't have to talk yeah. to my parents. When I bought my house, my first house, it was actually <laughs> it was actually double digits. So I do relate to it. You know, it is interesting because when we look at real estate, we talk a lot about what the economic conditions are, where things are going. We actually do try and look into the future and use the economic fundamentals to see where real estate's going and the impact that these uh, economic events will have. You know, from a Canada point of view, you know, I think that we're starting to see a slowdown, although we're not seeing prices come off too much yet. Uh, There is some small prices come, you know, there's some small declines uh, starting to show up in different regions because the market is so regional, no different for you guys. But I I think there's a a place as well, Brian, that we have to consider that, you know, as much as interest rates go up, we got a cost of living. So your sellers, for example, you know, that maybe got into that real estate two years ago, now they've maybe lost a job or they're feeling insecure about it, trying to get out from under it. Because all of a sudden their fuel prices, their food prices, their general cost of living is on top of that increased uh, mortgage payment. So all sorts of things are starting to happen. Affordability is uh, is going to be a major issue coming up. And th- the other thing, too, is I think there's been a lot of this is something that doesn't get talked about is, you know, we talk about this massive uh, inventory shortage. Sure. Well, there's plenty of people who would sell or who want to sell or who might need to sell, but haven't because they don't know where to go because mm-hmm. there's, there's nowhere to go. Rents are too high. There's no houses for available. So there's a lot of people kind of sitting on the Start. sideline waiting to see what happens, right? So all of a sudden you get, you know, how many ever people, several million people that decide they want to move and put their house up, what happens then mm-hmm. from an inventory standpoint? So let's go back a little bit. I want to go back to, you know, the transition that you made from, you know, being a corporate guy into real estate or into being an entrepreneur. Let's not even consider the real estate component of it. 
you know, how much, you, because I know, uh, you know, I had a job once in my life back in the late seventies, early eighties, and it was a corporate gig as a young man, but it really was, uh, an amazing, a time of training for me that I used into my, my entrepreneurial journey when I had my, what I refer to as my entrepreneurial accident. How was that for you? Like, so when you look at that transition, you know, sales, you had that background, you had administration, you probably had a team. Tell me a little bit about that and what you were able to rely on. Yeah, I'm grateful for my corporate career. Absolutely. It's taught me so much in my, in my, in my business, you know, how number, number one is how to deal with people. Like you got to be able to deal with people. You know, because I have a team, I have people that I that that rely on me. I have to train them. So yeah, being in corporate and 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 having a team and 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 having mentors, even you know the the owners or the presidents of my companies were were my mentors. They taught me a lot. You know, they were kind of grooming me to go to the next step. I just was never going to go there because again, I was talking about trading time for dollars. But you know. I, I got, I had great training in, in sales. You know, I had, I had great corporate training. Like it was, they were, it was consistently, they were consistently trying to, you know, get us better, get us better on the phone, get us better in our appointments, you know, solving problems. And it's just interesting now is it's like, I kind of do the same thing with, it's just with sellers, like versus trying to help, uh, you know, somebody with their elevator issues or their, or their man, or their, their man lift issues. I'm helping sellers with their with their with their specific real estate problem. So, yeah, corporate definitely helped me. I'm grateful for the time. It was just, you know, for me, Patrick, things didn't start to change in my life until I got until I started to think differently. So once I changed my approach as to how I think, again, the job is the risk. Um, and then some other things that that I did to really get me over, the hump of feeling like I'm in this prison that I can't break out of, that I've created this lifestyle. Once I started to just think to change the way I think, all mental, that's when my life started to change. Was there a fork in the road moment for you? Like, where was there something, uh, something you read, a conversation that you had? I'm sure it was a lot of it just progressed over time. But was there a fork yeah. in the road moment for you? There was, and you know, I don't, I don't mind sharing this. This is, this is personal. Um, I talked about my son earlier, and my son's a huge motivator for me. Um, you know, I, I haven't, um, I have an estranged relationship with my father. Mm -hmm. I haven't spoken to him in almost four years. Prior to that, you know, my father's my hero growing up, mm -hmm. right? And unfortunately, that relationship has gone south. Uh, over the last several years, but it, leading up to that, it had, it had been it had been kind of going towards the wayside. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have a young, I had a young son at the time, you know, he's older now. He's, he's going to be 11 here coming up. And I just did not want to repeat that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it just forced, it just, that, that experience drove me to want to be a better father. Again, I'm gone. I'm missing this kid grow up. I would leave. I'd go to, I'd go to Vancouver for two or three days. I come home. He looks different. He's talking different. He's saying different things. And then he starts telling me that he doesn't like that I'm gone. And that chipped away at me. And I ultimately, I remember when I, I told my wife, I, I remember the moment I said, I said, look, I am now, I am no longer going to let my self-limiting beliefs, my fears and my doubts get in the way of my dreams. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I know where I was standing. I know what I said. I said exactly that to her. And like the next day, 
is when I decided to move forward with my current coach who mm-hmm. we were talking about and that changed my life. So these, so those, th- those events slash moments really is, is what got me over the hump. You know, it's interesting, you know, when you look back on this, Brian, and I know that you have some sense of it because of whatever your conversations you're having with your clients, but think about when you look and, and say, how long was I in the turmoil of that before I actually pulled the trigger? And, you know, is there, is there some sense of the time? Um, just, yeah, yeah. I, that's such a, that's such a great question. And so important too, because man, it was, it was decades. I think it was decades and it, it just started to get progressively worse. You know, one of the issues with one, one of the problems that, that men have, and I have this, is that we don't, we don't open up. We're not vulnerable, right? Like we kind of shove everything down, right? I'm generalizing here, but sure. this is very common. Yeah. And we're, we're, we just are, for whatever reason, like we're just afraid to, to, to share and open up. And it's like, you know, we're human beings. We need that outlet too, right? Mm-hmm. I started seeing a, a counselor uh, over five years ago. Mm-hmm. I still see this person today. Mm-hmm. It went from once a week to every two weeks. And it's not, you know, it's not like I was broken or needed all this repair. It was just, I needed an opportunity to address some things that had been bothering me for a long time that I didn't know was bothering me all the way back from when I was a little kid. And it, it, it's, it's tremendous. It's been one of the, I still go to, the, I went last week, I go every few weeks and it's such a gift. That's all I can say. It is an absolute gift to be able to do that. And it's changed my life. And I wish, I hope that one person hears this and, and, and just understands that that's okay. Like you're not less of a, of a man or a human, I'm talking about men here, but a, of a human being, if you go and do that for yourself, you're doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such an interesting conversation to have because I agree, you know, you're on point with all of it. And, you know, something that you said is that I, you know, I share often with, uh, you know, clients or, you know, that we work with is, you know, first off, we're in this conversation and we need to lead it with, you're not broken and you don't need to be fixed. You know, that's such a, because there is some story that early on in your journey of, you know, self-discovery or personal development, I like to call it self-discovery, you know, as you went through it, you know, you start to realize as we do, you know, I think as most people will start is that, you're, you are stuck in a story and, and it's based on how you were raised and it's not to be that your parents were wrong or that they made a mistake. You know, there's a fundamental is that, you know, in, in, you know, this is, is not my quote, but it's, you know, uh, it's nobody's fault and everybody's to blame. And it's really, you know, it's just because it's just the way life is. And, you know, we, we, our parents do the best they can, but they're operating on top of their stories and their parents. Right. And you broke the cycle in your case, you know, you sounds like given what your, your dad probably had, whatever story he had behind it. And he raised you in alignment with that. And uh, you're going, no, I'm not doing that. You broke the cycle. 100%. Somebody had to do it. And I love what you said about you're not broken. You don't need repair. No, yeah. you don't. And you have to watch the way you talk to yourself. You just need to accept and forgive. Like, that's what I focus on a lot is acceptance and forgiving, you know, forgive yourself, forgive other people, you know, don't, don't, don't hold on to stuff, mm-hmm. especially stuff that happened 
years and years and years ago that you can't do anything about. There's nothing you can do. Can't change it. There's a quote that, um, you know, a, a coach that we worked with many years ago, a guy by the name of Dr. John D. Martini, uh, was, you know, he uses a quote that I always love, right? Which is, the quality of our life is a reflection of the quality of the questions we ask ourselves. Now, when you consider even where you are today, the coaches that you have, you as a coach, you know, I always believe that my job isn't to give anybody an answer. My job is to ask the questions to bring the answer out that you have, because I believe everybody has the answer to their own, to the question. They just need to be asked the right question. I'm, I'm smiling because the, this literally, this happens all the time. Like this happens in my coaching sessions, like when I'm being coached, right? Where I'll go to, I'll start talking to my counselor and he doesn't start the conversation. I do. Mm -hmm. And they'll just keep going and then he'll, he's listening, right? So I'm really the one like kind of giving myself therapy. I mean, he, he kind of guides me to the, to the right spot. It's an interesting dynamic and I, we, I do the same thing in, in my, when I go to my coach, like I have what I'm supposed to work on. Like, and, and why would you do that? If you're, if you're a student and you're looking for help, like, what is it that you need help with? What is it you're trying to work on or improve on? I bring three things to my coach every single week. Like these are the three things I'm working on for, for our call. I'm prepared. And I expect my students to do the same thing. It's like, hey, what, what are your challenges? What are your blocks? What can I help you with? Like, tell me about versus me spitting out some syllabus of stuff they have to do. Like, that's right. not coaching, in my opinion. Yeah, it is an interesting journey that we all go on. So there was a, you know, there's recent, well, not actually, that's not true. A long time ago, there was a, uh, I don't know if it's something I read, but, you know, of course, there's always the, you know, give yourself a vision. What's the vision? When you look into the future, when you meditate in the, you know, what is what is the vision that you have for your life? And, and I always thought, well, that's, a, you know, I think that's a good exercise, but somebody added a really interesting component to it. I don't remember who, where I got it from, but the question then says, okay, now take that vision and go, What's your life if it's, if it's not that? And that was a really powerful kind of exercise because like you, if you had a vision for what your life could be outside of the job, great. Now picture yourself 10 years down the road, not making a move and you're still in the job. And those two dynamics are really, really powerful of how we look at things to get us moving. What is it if it, okay, give me the vision. You, know, you really sit and meditate on that. What's the vision if you stay on the path you're on? And I found that that has worked for me personally to even make certain decisions if I'm stuck on something and kind of, uh, you know, it really is a kind of a powerful way to, to look at it. I love that. I love that. And that's, I, that, that's easily more powerful than, you know, the, the script that you write up for your perfect life. Yeah. Or whatever, or your dream life. I shouldn't say perfect life, but your dream life. Yeah, for sure. So when you look back on what you've done, uh, Brian, it hasn't been easy. What's been your, have you had a, any big epiphanies and takeaways? Uh, any big regrets? Any big, you know, gosh, I wish if I would have known this, I would have done that. Any of that kind of stuff that shows up for you? The regret would be that I didn't, and everyone says this, right? That I didn't do it sooner. Yeah. Um, but I've let, I've also let go of that mm -hmm. because I could have, like you had said before, what if I didn't do something several years ago, right? And 
I I'm so glad that I made the decision and that my life went in the direction it was supposed to, it was supposed to go. You know, when you start looking at events that that happen to you or you know or or things that are out of your control, like now so much more is in your control than you think it mm-hmm. is. It's just the the series of choices that we make really get us to where we want to go. So you got to focus on the decisions that you're making, the choices that you're making. That's really what I've what I've learned over the last several years is take the time when, when you're making decisions. So like journaling has become a very big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, while we all have to make quick decisions on a daily basis, like bigger decisions, I'll think about it. I'll talk to my wife again. Not that I didn't have a great relationship with my wife. I have a much more more open, vulnerable, intimate and uh, intimacy from uh, you know an emotional standpoint with my wife that I can bounce stuff off of her. I've learned so much more about her. She's given more to me just by simply sharing my thoughts and ideas with her. Um, that's been really one of the greatest gifts is I have a better relationship with her. I have a better relationship with my son. I have a better relationship with everybody simply because I took the time to discover who Brian was. I worked on my inner world first and then all the stuff on the outside started changing. Well, if you don't fix this first. Well, I think it's like, you know, it's, it really goes back to, you know, you have better relationship with others because you have a better relationship with yourself, you know, and like does attract like, and when you start to really get clear on who you're being, then there are sometimes people that have to go. And I know that's one of the biggest fears as, as people have that world of self-discovery as they go down that path of, you know, personal development, even professional development, when they get clear on their values and how it is that they want to operate, uh, I think there's, you know, often a, a fear of relationships that will go away. And when you reflect on where you were back in the day, and I'm not even talking about people that you worked with, uh, but even friends, perhaps, of course, your family. I mean, you mentioned your dad. You know, there's some relationships that just don't align anymore with your values. In other words, you know, whatever it was with your dad, I mean, I came from a background of my being estranged from my father uh, in many, many ways. And so I understand that. But for you, when you look at even some friends, some other family, perhaps, what was it for you? Did you, did you find some relationships just had to go? I, I did. I did. I had, and, and that was okay too. You know, mm-hmm. I, I that's something that I think needs to happen to everyone. Um, you know, family other than my father, no, but yeah, some 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 different circles. But while you're while some of your older relationships might be changing, you have new ones developing, which mm-hmm. is a great thing. Like my inner circle or my top five is is completely different than it was even twelve months ago, and uh-huh. then you know three five years ago, and in the next twelve months, it could look different. You know, you're constantly uh, cycling that out, I think, or looking to uh, to up level because as as we all, as you always hear, you know, you don't ever want to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah, 100 percent. Well, yeah, I guess that's an interesting point, because as you evolve, not everybody is evolving either with you or at the same pace and or with the same interests, you know, as we grow and 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 shift and change. Uh, You know, I often use the example of, you know, the you know people with kids. They, they hang out with 
other people with kids often. And then, of course, as their kids grow older and they don't have to spend as much time, they kind of go, okay, well, we're over here now. We're doing something different. So that same kind of group of people may not apply to them anymore. So we evolve and we change, you know, for sure. Um, When you look at what's happening in the real estate world, you've built a team. How many people have you got involved in your team or how do you kind of operate in that regard, Brian, speaking of relationships? Yeah, I have a great team. I've got uh, four people on my immediate team. You know, I have obviously the attorneys and the accountants and and, and the insurance folks. Yeah, yeah, the indirect. But my immediate team, I have uh, four people and, you know, we're we're hitting it hard every single day looking to find those motivated people that we can help. I mean, that's really our attitude on a daily basis is who's out there who needs our help today. And that makes it a lot different or makes it a little bit easier of a of a task when you're um you know just trying to find deals for the sake of doing deals. So when you're looking at deals Brian, you know we often have you know conversations with uh you know within our community of what is it you're trying to achieve because there is you know income that we want to generate today so current income and for those of those individuals that have a job they're going no I'm making good dough I'm fine. What I really want to do is create for the future. Uh, when you look at the strategies and and how you are working with clients, are you uh, you know are you into a future income or are you in a active income situation in the deals that you're trying to do and and the business that you're trying to grow? Yeah, that's a great question. So the deals that 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 we craft or that we that we execute, the majority of them, our exit strategy is we are working with buyers who are just outside of financeability. So we're helping them get bank loans. So that is income now, mm-hmm. that is income on a monthly basis, and that's income down the road. Mm-hmm. That's one of our core strategies uh, where we sell to buyers who are just outside of financeability, which represents a very large portion portion of the buyer market. Self-employed people, mm-hmm. people who have gone through a life event like a divorce or a death or some type of significant situation where their credit's been temporarily dinged, mm-hmm. we give them the time they need, right? Um, and self-employed represents a huge portion of the buyer market. They have the income, they have the, you know, the ability to afford housing. They just don't good, they just don't look good on paper and the banks don't like them. They just need time. So we work with a lot of self-employed people who are who are helping uh, get bank loans through our through our financing programs or through our rent to own programs. And then, yeah, we can use some longer term strategies. I mean, if I, if I get a house under agreement on seller financing for 20 years, I don't I don't want to sell it in two years. No, I want to keep that money over time long term. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll use a, you know, maybe a long term rental strategy or maybe we'll look at financing somebody who's worthy over a long period of time, just like a bank would. Got it. So, you know, when we look at it is interesting, right, is that do you find in your uh, kind of business and working with your clients that part of the clarity that people need is what it is they're trying to achieve as real estate investors. Uh, you know, they, they're not clear. They, everybody wants to make money when they're, you know, it, it, like that's the given, but do you find mm-hmm. that some, that often people just aren't clear on what it is they, they can or want to achieve through investing in real estate? A million percent. And I was one of them. And that's why I did nothing. Mm. For a long time, I wanted to be a real estate investor for a long time, but I also wanted to do everything. I looked at, you know, long-term buy and hold renting. I looked at a, apartment syndication. I looked at flipping. I looked at rehab. I looked at everything. And yeah. what ended up happening is I did nothing because I kept getting distracted. Oh, I'll read yeah. this book. I'll read that book. I'll listen yeah. to this podcast. Yeah. I took no action. 
So now I'm in this lane, this very specific lane. Now, now that I know how to do this, I can go find the apartment building mm -hmm. and talk to a seller and say, hey, you know, I could buy your house. Would you be open to having a discussion about seller financing? Because right. they're in some type of distress. So now I can do these other strategies, but that wasn't how it was from day one. Yeah. We often, we refer that to, uh, you know, either a hummingbird investor or whack-a-mole strategy, right? It's like, right. I'll go That's here, right. no, I'll go here, no, I'll try this, I'll try that. That's awesome. Well, listen, Brian, I want to say thanks for your time. But before we start to wind down here, I always kind of go through a little bit of a series of uh, what we would refer to as rapid fire questions, and they're never quite that rapid fire. But it's interesting that I think that as an entrepreneur and, well, Listen, as a real estate investor, entrepreneur, anybody, I want to know about you. And so tell me about your, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a busy guy, you've done a lot of stuff, you've got a great team, you've gone through all the things you've gone through. How are you looking after yourself these days? Do you have a self-care routine? Is it, or is it in the morning? Is it evening? Is it meditation? I know you said journaling. I'm a big fan of journaling. I think it's, it's, such, a, it's such a powerful tool. Uh, what's your routine? I do have a morning routine and I protect it. It's very, very important to me. And I believe that everyone should have one and, and really dedicate them, dedicate to self-care. I, I can run through it real quick. It's, it's, yeah. it's not very long, but you know, I believe wholeheartedly that everyone should begin and end their day with gratitude. Mm -hmm. 30 seconds. The first thing I do when I wake up is I practice gratitude for the air that I breathe, for, for waking up, for being able to put my two feet on the ground when I get out of the bed. And I do the same thing at night. I have, a, I have a gratitude ritual that I go through. What was the best part of my day? Instead of focusing on something that might have happened in the day that was negative, it's like, what was so great about this day? Right before I go to bed, right when I wake up, changes, changes your life. Do that for 30 days and watch how your life changes. That's awesome. Then I'll do some meditation. I normally meditate for 10 minutes. Uh, I'll work out, you know, short workout, 15, 20 minutes, just to get the body moving. Sure. I will do journaling. I do affirmations. I do, I love scripting. I'll do some reading normally for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and then my son's up and I'm, you know, hanging out with him for a little bit, talking to him. Yep. I used to do cold showers, but I stopped doing that because I really just can't stand it. <laughs> so many, so many give up on that. But, you know, uh, yeah. I, I hear you. I Nothing better than a nice warm shower. So yeah. uh, do you have a favorite book that one that you really stuck out for you or one that you like to gift because you think it's powerful? Do you have a favorite book? Yeah, it, you know, it's it, it's tough to pick one, I but know. I would say that I, I I really I just think about the one that was the most impactful and it's close. I mean, uh, you know, Rich Dad Poor Dad's right up there. It's yeah. very close. But I think for me and like my personal development, the book that really and it's the movie, too, is The Secret. Mm -hmm. Right. Rhonda Byrne, The Secret. Yeah, that really I've read that multiple times and it's just like spiritually, it's just changed me. Connects with you. Yeah. Yeah iPhone or Android? iPhone. Okay. Always been an iPhone guy? I had the first iPhone that was ever made. I still, I have oh, it over gosh. there. It's like the rounded one. Are like, you an, yeah, are yeah, you an Apple evangelist, really? I am. I uh, am. Well, again, the, I was programmed by my company. They kept giving me iPhones, so I just I had no <laughs> choice. That, that was the free cell phone that I got. Uh, I do that very tongue-in-cheek. I was Android. I went over to iPhone. I'm, I'm good. I like, my, I like the iPhone. I like them both, actually. Favorite inspirational quote? Do you have one? Oh, 
There's so many. Um, I think I said it earlier, um, and this is from this was in a book by uh, Hal Elrod called "The Miracle Morning," which again is all about your morning routine, right? Yeah. And what I I've read this every day for probably the last three years. Um, I am just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving my ideal outcome as any other person on earth, and I will prove that today with my actions. Wow, beautiful. That'll get you focused. That's really good. Yep. I like it. like it a lot. Favorite swear word? Oh, man. You know... Don't tell me you're that guy that doesn't swear. No, I do. I'm just trying to think of the favorite one. It's definitely not the. It's. I would say the one I use the the most. Unfortunately, you know, I come from uh, a family of New Yorkers, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they take the Lord's name in vain all the time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my mom used to be like, a, you know, Jesus Christ, Brian, you know, yeah. what to, to to wear. So that that I I like that one because I always picture my mother saying it. Like when when she get when she gets mad, she yells at me, and I think it's funny. That's great. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Oh, I love that question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the gates? Um, man, stump to stump me. Here's the uh, here's the green, here's the Verde Mantis Lamborghini Huracan you've always wanted, <laughs> but never, but never had the stones to buy. <laughs> there you go. Your room, your desk, or your car. What do you clean first? Definitely not my desk, my room, my, my, my room. Yeah. Okay. My room. And uh, do you have a favorite tune or a band that you kind of always will go to? You too. Uh, yeah. I'm a U2 fan as well. Favorite movie. Yeah. Okay. So this is a great question, but I always like to throw it back and say my favorite movie to watch or the best movie that I think I've ever, that's ever been made. Cause I uh, think that's different. Oh, okay. Well, give me the answer to both. My favorite movie is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's my favorite to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Of course. And the best movie I've ever seen in terms of like, you know, the production and the acting and all that, I think it's got to be Braveheart. Mm, yeah, both very, very good. Cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, over to gratitude. What are you grateful for? My wife and my son. Beautiful. Family's yep. always good. And I'm always grateful to have the opportunity to talk to my guests and to today meet you, Brian. And like you, I am very grateful for my family, my amazing wife, and uh, the amazing relationships that I have in my life. So thank you so much for joining me on the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Look forward to catching up to you in the future. Thanks, Patch, for having me. Great, great uh, interview. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.